0: There is nothing quite like young love, especially when it comes to your first love. Teenaged hormones fuel the overwhelming emotions, making it an unforgettable experience. The butterflies in your stomach you receive when you look at each other, the roller coaster feeling you have when you are with them. You could never let anything stop you and your love but sometimes it ends as inexplicably as it began. Probably one of the most exciting love stories for teenagers is that of Romeo and Juliet, where they would rather die than be separated from their one true love. Such was the case for Tyler Witt and Stephen Culver who were in the midst of their passionate relationship, only to be torn apart by Tyler's disapproving mother. The couple made a Romeo and Juliet-type pact, but their plans wouldn't go as expected, as an already-planned tragic ending became even more sinister. Welcome to another episode of Crimson Sin with Tamsin Lee. I am your host, Tamsin Lee. You can find a link to today's show notes in the description. Also in the description, you can find a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page where you can follow or support and stay up to date with the latest from me. You can also find a link to the Tamsin Lee shop where you can find anything for anyone in your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. This episode is the first in what I am going to name Couples Who Slay as we count down to Valentine's Day. For the next few episodes, until Valentine's Day, we are going to be covering killer couple cases. (laughs) This case refers to self-harm and suicide, so if you or someone you know is dealing with thoughts such as these, please know that there are people and organizations out there dedicated to helping. You can talk to someone at the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, where dedicated crisis experts are willing to speak 24-7. Call or text 988 or visit 988 lifeline.org. You can find these resources in today's show notes. Today's case brings us to the upscale suburb of Sacramento, El Dorado Hills, California, where 47-year-old Joanne Witt lived with her daughter, Tyler Marie. The single mother worked hard as an engineer for the Department of Transportation in El Dorado County. Joanne was described as a devoted mother who loved her daughter a lot, but the relationship between mother and daughter was very complicated. When Tyler was five years old, Joanne lost custody for six months for hitting her. After taking anger management and parenting classes, she was placed back into her mother's care, but the relationship between them would only grow more strained and sometimes combative as Tyler grew older. Family members stated that after having CPS called on her, she was afraid of disciplining her daughter in any way. This caused a serious rift in the dynamic of the home, where the parents are to, you know, make sure children grow up respectful and disciplined. The child used this threat to get her way because there were no consequences. There was no consequences to her actions. The troubled teen would fight with her mother constantly and had run away a few times. 14-year-old Tyler was in her freshman year at Oak Ridge High School in December 2008 when she began spending time at a local coffee shop called The Habit. This is where she met 19-year-old Steven Culver. By January 2009, the two goth kids, accompanied by their friends, would frequent the shopping centers and spend a lot of time together. Tyler and Steven found that they had a lot in common. They both dressed in the same emo fashion and shared a love for anime. Neither could anticipate that they would soon create a tale So tragic that it could rival any fictional tale. While Tyler was still in high school, Steven was continuing his education at Folsom Lake College. He also worked six days a week at a restaurant in Folsom, which is adjacent to El Dorado Hills. After college, he aspired to become a math teacher. Every weekend, Tyler and Steven would hang out at the local shops and soon their friendship began to evolve. The two would speak on the phone constantly. Steven even became a mentor to Tyler, helping her with her homework and someone she could confide in about her explosive relationship with her mother. A relationship that was said to have been strained even further by Joanne's drinking. The connection between the two teens deepened in March 2009 when their relationship became physical. He was the first boy she had ever slept with. In the throes of young passionate love, Tyler wrote in her diary, We will love each other past death. I know I will never stop loving him. Then one day, Stephen's father decided that It was time to sell the house and move out of state, which placed his son in quite a predicament, as he would need a place to stay. After all, his whole life was in that town. He was going to college, he had a job, and was in the midst of a new love. But as luck would have it, Joanne Witt was looking for someone to rent a room in her home. Completely unaware of her daughter's love life and her relationship with Stephen, Tyler more than happily suggested Stephen rent the bedroom. Joanne still had her reservations, as boarding a 19 year old boy while having a 14 year old daughter in the home could spell disaster. However, Tyler reassured her mother that Stephen was gay. He was previously in a relationship with his friend Matthew Whitman. Joanne had met Steven a few times, and she liked him. They got along well enough, so... Against her family and friends' wishes, Joanne agreed to allow Steven to rent the room. In April 2009, Steven moved into the Wit home, paying $500 per month for the room. The arrangement worked wonderfully for a while, with Stephen proving to be a kind of calming influence in the home. There wasn't as many fights between the daughter and mother. All three split the chores and frequently ate dinner together. Stephen, wanting to prove he was a great person and wonderful boyfriend, even emailed Tyler's math teacher so he could help tutor her. Tyler and Stephen's relationship continued while he lived in the Witt home. The teens would steal kisses when Joanne wasn't looking. And while she was at work or asleep, they would do even more. On May 13, 2009, Joanne walked into the unfinished HVAC room, which was located across from Stephen's bedroom. Here, she happened to find a bottle of sexual lubricant, sex toys, and a few jars of marijuana and paraphernalia. Obviously, this discovery deeply upset her. Stephen had smoked for years, with Tyler indulging occasionally. But of course, Joanne didn't know that when she decided to confront Steven on the matter. Stephen remained calm during the talk providing plausible excuses as for why these things were in his possession. He told Joanne that he was holding the items for a friend. Still, Joanne was not comfortable with the discovery and chose to kick him out of the house. Which I think we can all understand, right? The next day, Joanne came home unexpectedly. She looked for Tyler in her room, but her daughter wasn't there. So she went to Stephen's room and knocked on the door. She could hear a shuffling noise and he would not open the door right away. When Stephen finally did open the door, the 19 year old boy was wearing pants. Only pants. Joanne became suspicious of the situation so she inspected his room. Finding her daughter naked holding a yellow sports bra against her chest. Finding that her 14-year-old daughter was having sex with Stephen was very shocking for her. And she just did not know what to do. She did not know how to comprehend the situation. She decided to ask Stephen to take a ride with her that afternoon. Joanne drove him to a park nearby to talk. Here, Steven admitted to his relationship with Tyler. He also told her that he and Tyler knew it was wrong and it was illegal for them to have a relationship. I mean, he was 19 and she was 14. She was underage. So, yeah, he could, he, he could get in some serious trouble there. <laughs> so, during their talk, Joanne agreed that she would not call the police. She would not press charges. If... He broke things off with her daughter and moved out immediately. As this was a lucky break for him, because he could go to jail on statutory rape charges, Stephen agreed to Joanne's terms. On May 15, 2009, Joanne had two friends and colleagues from her work named Vincent Catapano and Thor Larsen come to her home for support. While Steve came to pick up his belongings, Vincent and Thor had a conversation with Steven about his relationship with Tyler and the damage he had caused between the already strained relationship of the mother and daughter. Vincent had also helped move Steven's belongings to the sidewalk, warning him not to contact the Witt family anymore and threatening an East Coast-style reprisal if he should disobey. But Stephen appeared to be unaffected by his words, as he stood expressionless and answered him politely with, Yes, sir. Only a few short days later, things between the three escalated quickly, when Tyler appeared to have gone missing, and would not answer her mother's phone calls. Fearful that her daughter was with Steven, she called the authorities, reporting the teenager's physical relationship. However, Tyler wasn't with Steven that night. She was actually at a friend's house and was out of cell phone range. Regardless of the innocent explanation, the bell had already been rung as law enforcement started their investigation. The sheriff's deputies questioned Tyler about Joanne's allegations, but the 14-year-old lied, telling them that Steven was only a big brother to her. She claimed that she was naked in the HVAC closet because she was asking his opinion on outfits she had been trying on. Investigators then questioned Steven, who told the same story, basically. Stephen also told authorities that he and Tyler were fond of each other but they never became physical. The investigation did not lead anywhere because officers had no evidence and two denials of anything happening with those involved. The bond between mother and daughter continued to become even more fragile. Tyler increasingly acted out against her mother and continued to call Stephen all the time unwilling to break off the relationship. It was during this time that authorities received the strangest 911 call ever made. Tyler called authorities pretending to be her mother so they would come take her away. When the 911 operator answered the call, Tyler stated her daughter Tyler physically assaulted her and was vandalizing her home. She continued as her mother to tell the operator that she did not feel safe in the house, on the phone with them, and that they got into a physical altercation when the daughter would not return to her room. After a while, Joanne takes the phone away from her daughter, telling the operator that they were speaking to Tyler the entire time. You could hear Tyler screaming at her mother in the background. Go ahead, finish the report and send me to jail. Why won't you let me leave? The operator asked if Joanne was safe, to which the mother replied, I don't know, and began sobbing. She asked if she was injured, and Joanne replied that she was a little bit, so deputies were dispatched to the scene. Joanne had a cut on her chin and suffered a few bruises, but nothing serious enough to require a trip to the hospital while Tyler was sent to Juvie. But when Joanne refused to press charges against her daughter, Tyler was released and sent back home. During the first week of June, Joanne found and read through Tyler's diary. Tyler was an exceptionally descriptive writer, especially when discussing her sexual encounters with her lover. Here the teen wrote of sexual positions, the lack of birth control use, and the emotions the couple expressed toward each other. One such entry detailed, We have decided to call each other fiance, and so when we get married, we can say we've been engaged for five years. And it was from her diary that Joanne found out Steven had been sneaking into her home at least 20 times by this point. But her relationship with Steven wasn't the only thing she wrote about in her diary. She also detailed the turbulent conflict between her and Joanne. One such entry stated, "'My mother is driving me insane. I can't stand her company for more than five minutes. I hate her.'" Tyler would further detail fantasies about her mother dying in a car accident. Joanne was faced with more problems now. She had the evidence she needed against the lying teens to bring charges against Stephen, But if she turned the diary over to authorities, personal information about Tyler's life, including the seemingly irreparable relationship between the mother and daughter, would become privy to outsiders. Contemplating this decision, she chose to have authorities talk to Tyler again. If her daughter refused to tell the truth, then she would give the diary to the officers. El Dorado Sheriff's Deputy Ken Barber visited the Witt household on June 10, 2009 to talk to Tyler and to take her statement. Again, the teenager stuck by her innocent explanation of what happened back in May. Joanne then handed Tyler's diary to Deputy Barber. Tyler was devastated when she learned that her mother had given her diary to authorities. She had called Steven several times while he was at work until he drove to her house. After he arrived, the couple allegedly discussed running away to San Francisco to commit suicide, drawing their inspiration from Romeo and Juliet. The next evening, June 11, 2009, there were several phone calls exchanged between Tyler and Steven. Tyler was giving her lover status reports about her mother. She told him that Joanne was drinking that night and would tell him if she was still awake. Just a little before midnight, Stephen went to the wit household while Joanne was asleep in her room. Soon after midnight, The young couple would leave the home to stock up on supplies before making their way to San Francisco. After completing their shopping, the couple went to their friend Matt Widman's house, where Steven and Tyler dyed their hair black. Then the three went back to the town center to join more friends and to purchase marijuana, cocaine, and ecstasy. They then decided to go to the empty Culver house where Stephen and Tyler cooked ramen noodles while contemplating whether or not they should let Matt in on their little secret. But the secret they wanted to tell wasn't the Romeo and Juliet pact they planned on carrying out that weekend. It was something that happened at midnight. After indulging in a line of cocaine, Stephen thought Whitman was ready to hear what happened. It did seem odd that Joanne hadn't been calling her daughter all day. Not one call. He told his friend that he had stabbed Joanne to death the night before, bringing the bloody knife in from the car to prove it. Whitman was puzzled and shocked. Shortly after this revelation, Stephen's father unexpectedly arrived at the empty house Stephen hurriedly hid the drugs and knife from his father while Tyler and Matt went out to the car. As the night started coming to an end, the couple dropped Matt back off at his house at 10pm and left for San Francisco. Stephen Culver and Tyler Witt made sure that Joanne would never come between them again. After leaving the Witt home in the early hours of June 12th, they went to Steven's father's old house where they showered and burned their clothes in the fireplace. They then went to town and took a nap in the parking lot of the local library. When they woke up, they decided to put their plans into action. At this point, their plans were very simple. They would spend their last day in El Dorado Hills with friends. They would then drive to San Francisco and eat sweets laced with poison. So they grabbed drinks at the Starbucks, bought food at the 99 cent store, and stopped at Home Depot to buy rat poison. That's when they started hanging out with Matt Widman. So on the morning of Friday, June 12, 2009, while Tyler and Steven were playing out the beginning stages of their plan, No one heard from Joanne Witt all day, but this behavior was not alarming to her colleagues because she had taken off from work unexpectedly in the past to tend to her daughter. Vincent thought that Joanne and Tyler may have gone on a camping trip over the weekend, so he was not surprised when his calls went unanswered. No one grew concerned about Joanne's whereabouts until she didn't show up for work on Monday. June 15th. Vincent expressed his concerns with his boss, stating that Joanne was having problems with her daughter at home and was not returning his calls. In an attempt to gain some answers, they called authorities to perform a welfare check on Joanne at her home. Her boss also called Joanne's parents to see if they had heard anything from her. While it wasn't unlike her to unexpectedly call out of work, she did always call to let her employers know she would not be coming in. Officers arrived at the Witt home, not finding anything suspicious, but the house was locked and no one was answering the doorbell. This is when Joanne's father, Norbert Witt, arrived and allowed the authorities access inside her home. Authorities advised Norbert to stay outside while they entered the house. When they reached the master bedroom on the second floor, they discovered the most gruesome scene. Joanne Witt lay in bed in a pool of her own blood, covered with a blanket. She had been there for days, stabbed 20 times in the neck and chest, an APB was put out on Tyler and Steven, who were immediately deemed persons of interest in the mother's death, as authorities already knew of the statutory rape charges against Steven that Joanne had started. And almost instantaneously, the media was at the scene, flooding the airwaves with pictures of the couple all over Northern California, over the weekend, Steven and Tyler had checked into a holiday inn in downtown San Francisco. They did some sightseeing, took drugs, and wrote suicide notes in their room, which they later sent to Matt Widman. But their plans didn't pan out exactly as they intended. After mixing rat poison in a red velvet cake and, again, in some sugary cereal, They found that they just couldn't eat enough of it for their desired outcome. They tried harming themselves with razors, but they were too dull, and Stephen complained that he could not stand the pain. He then suggested that they jump off the roof, but Tyler expressed she was too afraid of heights. It seems the Romeo and Juliet pact they had didn't appear as glamorous as they thought. Instead, they chose to walk away. The couple took San Francisco's subway as far south as they could and walked through the night. On the morning of June 17, 2009, Tyler and Steven walked south on El Camino Real into the town of San Bruno, where an off-duty police officer spotted them. They walked into the San Bruno shopping mall as the officer called in the sighting. They were soon arrested near a dumpster where they were changing their clothes. The knife that killed Joanne Witt was never recovered. While Tyler was being interrogated, she claimed to know nothing of her mother's death. Detectives reminded her that she was under arrest for murder, but Tyler insisted that her mother wasn't dead and claimed her right to legal counsel. Stephen's interrogation went a little differently as he only asked about Tyler and expressed that he was worried about her. Matt Whitman gave the suicide notes from Stephen and Tyler to authorities, as well as the account of the confession Stephen had given him before they left for San Francisco. This evidence painted a pretty clear picture of what occurred that fateful night in the Witt residence. Investigators also found a story written by Tyler entitled The Killer and His Raven in which a young couple's love was thwarted by the teen girl's mother and ended in the mother's death. An excerpt from this story read, at round one in the morning the girl snuck the boy into her house. He stabbed her in her sleep, killing her and freeing themselves. Another piece of evidence authorities had was a letter from Stephen to his friends in which he apologized for the sinful escape while also stating, our souls are tainted. We shall be awaiting our fate in the afterworld. The court ruled that Tyler Witt would stand trial in the murder of her mother as an adult, even though she was 14 years old. And even though she would be tried as an adult, she was still able to cut a deal with prosecutors. She would plead guilty to first-degree murder and agree to testify against Stephen. If prosecutors believed her testimony against her lover to be truthful, her charge would be reduced from first-degree murder to second-degree murder. This would make her eligible for parole in 15 years rather than 25 years. Prosecutors believed without a shadow of a doubt that with Stephen Culver being the only remaining culprit, their evidence and the testimony from Tyler receiving a guilty verdict for Stephen would be rather simple, but there were still some twists to come. On May 17, 2011, the Eldorati County Courthouse prepared for opening statements on the case. Prosecutor Lizette Sued told the jury they would hear a case about a 19-year-old man and a 14-year-old girl and their love affair that led to the violent, almost to the point of sadistic murder of her mother. All of the evidence and admissions pointed to Stephen Culver as the person who violently and maliciously stabbed Joanne Witt. To get rid of the key witness in the statutory rape case against him. But the defense painted an entirely different picture of the murder. Defense attorney Dane Weiner stated Tyler was the temptress and the mastermind behind the death of her mother. When Stephen arrived at the Witt residence that night, Weiner said Tyler was holding a knife dripping with blood and admitted to Stephen that she had killed Joanne. He covered up the body with a blanket and later told his friends that he had stabbed Joanne in order to protect Tyler. The defense continued that Tyler's diary revealed her true feelings she had for her mother. She often wrote how she wished her mother would die in a car accident or that she just wanted her mother dead. The jury would even hear several of Tyler's friends recount Tyler stating to them that she wanted her mother dead and that she was going to kill her mother. The defense also made it apparent that Steven and Tyler's intention was a joint suicide. So what was the purpose in killing Joanne Witt? If Steven's plan was always suicide, what would be his purpose of killing Joanne? I mean, sure, he could have felt the need to take revenge on her for handing over the evidence authorities needed to arrest him. But the damage was already done. What would killing her do for him at that point? The prosecution called on Tyler to take the stand. She was now 16 and appeared more wholesome and sweet for the jury. She politely answered questions from the prosecutor while playing with her hair. While on the stand, she went through the plan to kill her mother, how she tried to drug Joanne's drink, how Stephen arrived at the house with a 10-inch chef knife that he had swiped from the restaurant he worked at. Tyler claimed they went upstairs to Joanne's room together. But when she saw Steven taking a few practice swings at the air, she said, I couldn't do it. I couldn't go inside. She claimed that she stayed in the hallway, putting her hands over her ears and humming so she couldn't hear the sounds. The defense began its cross-examination of Tyler by having her recount years of physical altercations with her mother and her numerous attempts at running away. Tyler would claim that her mother was very abusive towards her but no one was ever able to confirm that Joanne was ever physically abusive towards her daughter and many people thought she was lying about it because if she was as abusive as she had claimed she was she would have had a lot more scars and more people would have noticed a lot more bruising then the question was raised who's Toby Tyler explained to the courtroom that Toby was a demon from hell that lived in her. She had an angel that lived inside her too, named Alex. In times of stress, Tyler claimed she would black out and Toby would take over to deal with whatever was stressing her out. It was then time for Stephen Culver to take the stand. In his own defense, to tell the jury what happened the night Joanne Witt was murdered. He stated that when he arrived at Tyler's house that night, her clothes were stained red and she held a bloody knife in her hand as she said, I did it for us. I did it. I finally did it. Mom is gone forever. He also stated that he first met Toby, Tyler's demon, when Joanne found out about their sexual relationship. Tyler hyperventilated and collapsed. Just as quickly as she passed out, she was awake again, but something was off. Stephen recounted, she told me that she was a demon that possessed Tyler's body and Tyler was too weak to be in control. During cross-examination, prosecutors forced Stephen into admitting he had a fascination with knives and that he owned many different types of swords. Prosecutors continued to question if he held a stronger desire to kill Joanne because if he was charged with statutory rape, he would be branded as a sex offender, ultimately shattering any dream he had of becoming a teacher. It took the jury four hours of deliberation and came back with a verdict on June 15th, 2011. The jury found Stephen Culver guilty of first-degree murder with special circumstances of lying in wait and of killing a witness to the statutory rape. Stephen and Tyler were formally sentenced on August 12th, with Stephen receiving life in prison without the possibility of parole. And he is spending his days in the California healthcare Facility in Stockton, California. Tyler received 15 years to life with the possibility of parole. She spent her time incarcerated at Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla and was granted parole on August 26th, 2022. I tried to find information about Tyler after receiving parole, but was not able to find anything. So hopefully she's laying low and leading a better life right now. It seems that this case has a lot of damning evidence for both parties involved, to be honest. And, in the end, Romeo and Juliet ended up pointing fingers at each other. But my question is, if they are pinning the blame on one another for the murder, why did they both need to burn their clothes in the fireplace? What was the purpose of murdering Joanne Witt? This case has left me with more questions than answers because she was found stabbed 20 times. I mean, yeah, Steven could have been mad about her turning him over, turning evidence over for statutory rape, could have made him angry enough to stab her 20 times, but it would seem more like with the troubled past the daughter had with her mother, she had more personal pent-up anger towards her mother. That's just my opinion. Let me know what you think in the comments. While unsuccessfully pulling off the Sad Romeo and Juliet ending, Steven and Tyler still managed to end their tale with a tragedy. So what did you think of today's case? Do you think justice was served? Let me know your thoughts by leaving a comment. Thank you for listening and your support. Stay safe and I will see you for the next episode. Bye.